Hey everyone, welcome to the Belena Podcast, Episode 2. In this episode, we feature Deval Banerjee, founder of ViewCasson, and Matt Palmer, founder of GenFab. They'll be interviewed by Alex Marinos, Belena's CEO and founder. I'm Andrew Nem, your producer. In this episode, we'll talk about how Deval and Matt are working on innovative ways to bring industrial-scale 3D printing capability to the masses, you know, to people like you and me. They'll talk about what they're working on and how it not only impacts the manufacturing industry, but also how it'll inspire tomorrow's generation of engineers and builders. Check it out. Hey guys, great to have you uh, on the stream. Uh, for everyone who's watching, uh, this is the Belena podcast uh, where we're talking about new technologies coming down the pike and what it means for every single person or community that is uh, exposed to them. Um, today I've got two of my favorite people on Twitter, uh, and outside of it, um, Deval and, and Matt, uh, who are working on some incredibly exciting stuff around the, uh, manufacturing additive and, and not, uh, world. Um, they're going to tell us a bit about what they do. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, and then we're just going to talk about, you know, how, how the, the future that doesn't suffer from insanely long supply chains look like uh <laughs> so uh duval uh hello hi uh yeah i'm duval banerjee i'm working on metal 3d printers and making a combined metal 3d printer and machine tool uh yeah and it's called Vukasan. cool uh we're gonna put links to all your stuff uh somewhere mm -hmm. around the screen for real to uh or audio whatever uh for people to, to check out hey matt hey how's it going oh good what are you working on uh lots of different things most of which have to do with uh taking open source uh robotics and commercializing them that sort of stuff starting with 3d printers and then uh onto labs and then onto a number of other things and yeah i'm sure we'll get into a bunch of that oh yeah so just to make sure we're everything's above board, uh, I gotta make a bit of disclosure here. I've uh, invested in uh, Matt's startup Gen Fabco, and if Deval would have let me, I would have invested in his too. But you know how <laughs> things are. Uh, <laughs> Deval is the round ball. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's telling me he's not taking money yet. We'll see. Um, we will. We will eventually. <laughs> so um, yeah. So again. Uh, super excited to have you both here because I mean I'm, I'm super into 3D printers, but as a amateur, like I, I I like to mess around with them. I you know I think through the through the whole pandemic, they've been like a solace, like just kind of getting in touch with reality in a way that you know for for me working on like business stuff and when I do product stuff is mostly abstract model driven stuff. Um, you know, having a, a, something I can touch is always like, I think I, I was missing it subconsciously, so I got myself a 3D printer and got into it. But, you know, you guys are, are two of the people I follow who kind of know the stuff on a far, far deeper level. So yeah, I always uh, look forward to when you guys are uh, posting stuff on Twitter. And uh, I thought, you know, if we're going to talk about what's coming down the pike, who, who else who else could I possibly talk to? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm actually so, coming at this from the perspective of a software engineer as well. And, and I, I can relate to the idea of like actually want to be able to touch and hold the things that, you know, the things that I work on. There's been, uh, uh, you know, it back, I mean, hell, all the way back in high school, I, I did, I did a bunch of, uh, done a bunch of work in industrial automation and it kind of feels like, uh, 
kind of feels like uh you know just the the the, the wheel can, continues to turn here <laughs> but yeah i think there's a uh, uh, a lot of compelling things to be done and a lot of uh uh interesting innovations to be captured uh, uh at the intersection of of abstract models and things that are constructed out of matter yeah i mean in a very strange way the it's, it doesn't feel like too distinct like far away uh principles it's more it's like you, yeah like the kind of like weird horseshoe theory where that the deeply physical and deeply abstract sort of meet in a, in a bizarre way and if i've learned anything from <laughs> if i've learned anything from Duval's twitter feed is that he's super passionate about uh feedback cycles as well and, and uh speeding that up so yeah yeah um actually the thing is i've actually come from like a software background as well uh i mean i was doing computer engineering but <laughs> i was always obsessed with uh building hardware at home and so i'd formally i've been doing like far more stuff but then uh at home i've always been prototyping with a plastic 3d printer like your typical fdm printer and that's how i got into all of it right so it seems like we have a common theme <laughs> yeah i know right this is uh i did not do this on purpose folks this is just uh happening to me i mean but but it is it is something that i've been noticing that um the hardware world even from what i'm seeing in Belena, um, is just very insular. It's like it's it's got its own language, its own way of thinking about things. And hey, I mean, it's been working for a long time. And everything we've got around us, from you know the technology we're using to even do this do this uh, conversation, um, has come about that way. But also, you know, when you're habituated to the the beauty of what we have in the software world, um, the the difference is, is 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 kind of stark, I guess, when you've got one foot in the one world, one foot in the other. So, uh, I mean, for us at Balena, that that drove us to make you know a deliver software delivery platform because that was the thing that we saw was just uh, excruciatingly painful when you uh, sort of started to mess with that world. But what we found out is that the the hardware part, the hardware hardware part, you know, like not the software on the hardware, but the actual hardware itself is suffering from insane amounts of uh, friction in terms of iteration and you know never mind you got to ship the stuff like that's not going away but between the the two uh you know how fast do you actually get to the thing you want to ship uh that that's just been i think one of the biggest surprises i've i've experienced in working on Belena. so what are you guys going to do about it <laughs> <laughs> uh build self-replicating uh uh factories and launch them into space but that's like 20 years down the road so i don't know do you want more immediate term <laughs> i mean hey <laughs> so i mean what what is what is the what are like if we put it out a bit more broadly like what are we um what do we have to hope to like if we're looking down like one year or three years or five years like what somebody wants to make you know it used to be extremely difficult to do a hardware startup a software startup like you know if you look at like um stories about people who did software startups in like the early 2000s or even in the in the 90s like you had to go to sun buy the workstation go to oracle buy a database license put the thing in your office buy a like a, a backhoe cable stick it on there and you know like pray to the gods that your power didn't get cut because that that was your website um and you know things got better gradually and then Amazon just showed up and it's like, press this button, you get a server, push your stuff, 
can start from your basement. You don't need permission from anybody. Uh, and it feels like still like hardware is uh, at the place where um, you got to take permission because it's to build any any sort of volume. I mean, Kickstarter and that stuff helps. Uh, but still, even the prototyping is quite expensive. So you, you can't just do it like, you know, as a student with, you know, great idea and no budget, like you're, you're severely limited in what you can do. So what are we, what are, what's the hope out of this, uh, this mess? Well, I, I think that, I think that the, the, that is changing a little bit, you know, in, in various different areas. I think that, uh, you know, uh, the, the premise that we're operating around, uh, uh, under is that uh, fabs are, only as expensive as like the, the entry level plastic part fab is only as expensive as it is currently uh, for for you know uh, just as a result of a lack of commercialization of um, already mature uh, uh, FDM 3D printer technologies. Um, but I think more broadly than that, it's just a it's it's a, it's the result of a a, a line of thinking in the uh, in the uh, 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 physical engineering space that prioritizes uh, uh, capital density over modularity and uh, other other things like that. So, you know, people end up spending um, an enormous amount of time learning how to operate uh, machinery that can do things, um, you know, with uh, with incredibly high levels of, uh, you know, of, of per operation efficiency, uh, but uh, very low levels of uh, uh, but very low levels of uh, 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 like reprogram, you know, reprogrammability. Like you know, when when you when you've spent ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars on machine tools, you tend to be uh, sunk into a business model pipeline that's that's pretty difficult to get out of, and you know that that inherently limits a lot of how you do development if all of your engineers are trained to develop things in that uh, in that in that um, in that process and with that workflow. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it is, uh, ultimately cultural, you know, there's a saying that politics is downstream from culture. I, I think engineering is too. Uh, uh, and I, I think that, uh, uh, ultimately like people need to actually be able to imagine a world in which they can, in which they can, uh, design things for a 10th of the cost or a hundredth of the cost that they do currently and, you know, enter serial production, uh, for a 10th of a cost or a hundredth of a cost, uh, before they actually go enter that world, because, you know, you need to work your way and talk your way through the, you know, the, the second and third order effects of that so that you don't tank your business while you're trying to go do that. And, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's, that's easier said than done, but uh, a lot of that complexity can be eaten for people. And uh, my hope is that some of the folks in the fleet of companies rolling out right now will be able to do that for folks. Right. Um, actually, going back to your question about uh, if a student could like actually prototype um, now, I think it's starting to get easier, especially with like Arduino and seeing these low cost microcontrollers um, like the SDM32 nuclear, that's what I use. Um, and like with the 3D printer, like for me, I'm, I'm 21. I've worked with this 3D printer and some of the microcontrollers and other hardware uh and spent less than two thousand dollars and we're getting close to printing metal um so i think when if an engineer thinks very strictly about okay how do i avoid machining and um how do i use off-the-shelf parts it's actually really it's not too bad to get a prototype going um not something that you can manufacture but um certainly you can 
start to see if what you're working on will actually work. Um, and for me, I'm always obsessed about just iteration and just closing the loop as Alex pointed out earlier. Um, I think a large challenge with manufacturing, especially even with like um, CNC milling or any kind of production like that, um, which is considered like, you can at least change design quite a bit with the CNC machine. Um, you still have to think about fixturing and your machining strategy significantly, especially if you're going into production. Um, and really what I hope is that in the next 20 years, like with AWS, you don't really have to think about scale as much. Um, and hopefully we'll get there with manufacturing where you're able to just make a design, click print or just click some kind of one click button. And then uh, the part just comes out done. You don't have to think much about the strategy and you're still getting something that's uh, economically feasible. Um, and I think at some point when, you know, I think we're in hardware, we're still around maybe like early nineties internet in terms of how hard it is to do things. Um, and once we start to get something that's a little bit easier, then we'll start to see a lot more iteration, a lot more uh, people trying risky things that they wouldn't think would work. Um, at least for the smaller things. Like, I mean, of course, if you're doing like a supersonic or hypersonic jet, then <laughs> that's still going to be very capital intensive. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I do think we're starting to get to the point where smaller projects, um, I always go through like Hackaday and look at all the posts going on through there. And it's amazing to see what people are doing at home. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, definitely there's movement, right? And, and, and a lot of the, the, I mean, the 3D printing revolution, I think over the last 10 years has done a lot, you know, it feels like we went from, you know, the, the maker bots and like some sort of primitive uh, rep wrap stuff to, you know, the Prusas and now the next generation stuff that's coming out there is, you know, the, I mean, resin 3D printing is like crazy. Uh, SLA, sorry, is that the official term? I don't know what we, <laughs> yeah. we call it. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, you can't say nothing is happening. I guess maybe another area, and I don't know what you guys think, is around um, sort of the design element of that, right? Because let's say I have my perfect, you know, omni manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, machinery. Uh, I still have to sort of put my idea down to, you know, a form that it can actually handle. So uh, is there is anything happening in that that world? I mean, in terms of uh, advancement in CAD. I mean, if that's if that's what we're looking at, that's what we're looking. At. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've well, being a software engineer, uh, kind of you know pulling both pins and Leroy Jenkins in my way into the hardware world. You know, it has been a little bit of a, it has been a little bit of a uh, an experience. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, diving into you know di diving into all of this uh, uh, systems design that doesn't happen entirely in a text file right <laughs> uh you know that sort of that sort of stuff uh uh you know and, and and retaining like correctness and precision um you know while you're operating in in something that's representing you know a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of things in three dimensions um and generally without like the sort of type system level constraints that you can get in the graphics in the pure graphics world um you know, that, that's a big conceptual leap for me as a programmer. Um, and it, it seems like the tooling there is stuck in a lot of assumptions that were laid down in the, you know, in, in, in the, in the 90s. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Deval, as you said, like, it, it does, it does seem like we're captured in the 90s in terms of, uh, 
uh, just hardware generally, but uh, you know, th there are very specific things too that 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 are literally done in precisely the same way that you know that they would have been back then. Like it's still, uh, you know, we we I, I ended up finding out the hard way why they why they have those like uh, ball track mouses. Uh, uh, if you guys ever seen one of those, like a you know mouse with a big red ball that you just scroll by rolling the ball, that sort of thing. Turns out I didn't realize this until I started spending hours a day in inside CAD. Um, that that's what that's for. You know, you've you, you're you're stuck inside a set of things that you know have navigational primitives that are tied to, uh, you know, tied to a set of devices that you know might as well be a joystick. It's so esoteric. Uh, uh, and so, you know, so unfamiliar and foreign to, you know, those of us who are habituated to trackpads. Um, yeah, it's uh, if I had to say what the, you know, what appears to be the biggest gap and, you know, the biggest thing, the proliferation of new manufacturing technologies, it may end up the biggest block may end up actually just being people's ability to learn CAD, uh, you know, the developer tooling needs to advance along with the, you know, along with the, 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 the form factor of the computer or the form factor of the machine tool. Right. I, the thing is for me, I, I guess coming from software, like we're used to version control or used to all these things that just help us like collaborate with others. Type systems. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing is for me, I switched from, I've tried SolidWorks. I've tried Autodesk. I've tried, um, tried NX briefly. Like, I've tried some like Autodesk Fusion Inventor, like all these different things. Um, and I recently just migrated everything to Onshape. This is not an Onshape ad, <laughs> but like- hey, it, I mean, if something's good, <laughs> we're gonna talk about it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We should, we, they, they, uh, should, they should be heard. Right, recently, like, it's nice because you could actually like branch off your design. You can create branches and uh, like, visualize the difference between two versions and compare things. And it's actually been surprisingly really good in that way. Um, now, I, I think one thing I always think about is like, how much design do you do with CAD is like in your head and you're just trying to articulate it in the computer and how much is it, how much of it is something that you're using the computer to help visualize maybe what you're thinking in your head or how much of it is just actually designed on the computer. Um, for me, I always think that I do most of the design in my head and then I'm just trying to like translate it into the computer so like a machine can make the part. Do you guys feel like design is something you just do in your head and try to express it on the computer or is it something you actually design on the computer? I mean, I, I still do a lot of like hand, like freehand drafting. Um, that what? Like, pen and yeah, pen or <laughs> pencil and paper um, is still the the tool that's the quickest for me um I, but yeah i mean ultimately like uh uh drawing something whether it's in cad or, or on paper is sort of like writing it down you know you have this abstract set of thoughts right and you, that needs to be reified into something concrete and uh you know the the actual process of pushing it through that interface whether it's language or you know, or just a, 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 you know, geometric representation of what you're doing. Uh, that's, you know, that, that, that's a, a healthy constraint on the process that requires you to be uh, very specific about what you're trying to do. Um, so I, I think, I think it's tough to separate one, one from the other though. I mean, you know, one of our engineers, Curtis is, uh, you know, he, he, he does most of 
it, he 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 has what he calls brain cad and he does most of <laughs> most of his work in brain cad you know doing laps of his block uh you know listening to music and then comes down and just you know draws it once and it's done um so some people are able to do that but uh you know, I, I think for most, it's it, it really does. You know, there, there, there's the, there's a healthy constraint placed on the creative process by by the you know the need to push it through an interface um, that that might not cooperate all that well with you, because ultimately, like you know, your manufacturing tools aren't going to cooperate that well, or you know, if you're working on the software side, you know, your compiler might not cooperate all that well if you just spit something out and then just say figure it out. You know, for me, like I, you know. First of all, the the shame shameful admission here. Uh, I, I was forced to buy an iPad. Like the, the the first time I bought an Apple product after buying an iPod for my then girlfriend, now wife. Uh, like I don't know, eight years ago, is to buy an iPad to use on shape. Uh, no, wait, it's not called. What is it called? Ah, uh, what? Come on, we got it. Shaper three D. That's it. Um, and um, you know the way they've done the pen. The, the, the use of the pen and the fingers combo is, I thought, it was blown away. And still, it's I find it, it, it depends on the, like, you don't only have to have the idea for what you're going to do, but also, like, design the, in your in your head, strategize about the se- sequence of steps you're going to take to actually make the thing happen. It doesn't feel like you're messing with a thing, you know, where you're like, eh, I'd like it a bit like this or like, like that. It's more like you're strategizing, like, okay, what sequence of steps can I, how can I fool it into, uh, you know, showing up the thing I want more like than, than being, so it feels more imperative still like code than declarative as in, you know, I don't know if we're like the, down the line, we're going to a world where we can speak to it and say like, okay, hey, like this, but like making longer, can you, can you round out the edges a little bit or like whatever. Um, but um, I still feel, yeah, there is a, like the interface itself, maybe abstraction we've chosen. I don't know, maybe it's legacy or something. Like it's coming from somewhere else that I don't know that somebody's gonna like clarify for me and the scales are falling from my eyes or something. But like it feels it's coming from a yeah. I I, I even though like I, I spent like as much as I uh, as I you know as I could on making an interface that would be natural for me. But my dream was to be able to do it without thinking. Like maybe in the background of the call or something to see fooling around with something. It's it's still felt like a very very painful uh process i mean maybe it's just i'm not as good at it right and if i get really comfortable with it it'll it'll make sense but yeah it still felt like quite arduous yeah i think uh let's see i think for me like i kind of get the high level design for a part in my head and then once i get in the computer i can check like the thing is i won't be able to figure out okay how's this going to fit in the assembly perfectly in my head um and that's what the CAD really helps me with is like, I'm just able to see how it fits into an assembly. I'm able to make some small tweaks, but then the high level stuff, I kind of think of outside the computer. Um, and I'm thinking like maybe long-term in the future, like, I don't know how many years, I'm not going to say how many years, but I think maybe we've seen GPT-3 with uh, like someone's made like these things where you can just type a prompt and then it'll create a very basic React app um i think maybe we could see something like that with cad combined with parametric modeling or some kind of procedural modeling type of thing where you're able to maybe pull from a part library make some adjustments based on a prompt that someone gave and then design a part that way 
Yeah, the constraint systems that they that they're in, starting to introduce, and the interplay between those constraint systems and generative design technologies, uh, like the stuff that Autodesk is starting to package, um, I, I think has is that that space is underexplored, as you say. Um, I worry. I worry about the you know the uh, 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 pulling a human out of the out of the loop when you have you know some some sort of. Uh, 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 you know, fill in the blank maximizer, spitting out, uh, you know, spitting out various different, uh, you know, for example, spitting out react, react components or other, other things along those lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would definitely, it would definitely make, you know, being able to actually just go and, and, uh, uh, do, uh, design by example, the same way that you would do query by example with like GraphQL or something like that, that, that would be, enormously enormously powerful i think and i think that might actually be the 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 uh the big get that um you know that differentiates like the next generation of cad from from existing from existing uh uh cad systems that have their roots in 19 you know 1970s 1980s design technology um there's a and again this just all comes down to habituation and retraining and that sort of thing you know we if if we open up a, uh, you know, if we open up uh, uh, manufacturing technology to a much larger group of people, um, we increase the size of the CAD, the potential size of the CAD market substantially, and therefore incentivize more people to dive in and 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 start, you know, start uh, uh, doing development in that uh, in that marketplace, and then you start to see improvements and um, other things like that. Uh, you know, my my hope is that my hope is that we we eventually end up with uh, some sort of like open source CAD. One thing I've been thinking about, have you seen uh, things like uh, ISSL and uh, maybe there's a couple of other things that are like basically code, like ISSL, it's like Lua, I think, uh, to turn it into like designs. And, and the reason I'm thinking about that is because you said about React and I'm thinking like, if we can get a code intermediary, then we can actually, it might be easier to go from there to uh, to sort of some, some higher level interface than uh, the the as the sort of the cat itself. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm just kind of thinking mm -hmm. a lot, really. But yeah, it's it's um, it's really fascinating because we keep coming back to this theme, right? That technology sort of is stuck in whatever first worked, um, and then we're just continuing to develop that. And it's always easy, I guess, to add a step, right? Okay, we're gonna take that thing that everybody knows, and we're gonna make it a little bit easier. And that's always like such a compelling yeah. proposition. But it's uh, it's hard to um, like, hey, I got this new paradigm. It's like, well, you know, join the queue with all the other uh, cranks that got a new paradigm. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's it's like it's. I mean, we've we've known that Unix was suboptimal for doing what Unix does uh, ever ever since you know five years after Unix came out, when all of the people who wrote Unix came back and said, hey, there's this thing called Plan Nine. It's it's categorically better at all this you know network computing thing stuff. And then you know, and then everybody was like, oh well. Unix is already very, very good. Um, we don't require additional improvements on this. We're just going to run this. You know, we're just going to continue beating this donkey down the road for, you know, for for another 30, 40 years before everyone realizes that they've essentially gone back and reinvented Plan 9, except in the worst possible way by grafting it onto the kernel. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, uh, I, I think I think there's a a lack of awareness about the need for in like very serious, very targeted investment in completely new paradigmatic approaches to 
uh, technologies, whatever they may be. You know, we're we're on we're on 60 years of wide body of the same wide body airline technology or airliner technologies. You know, we're on uh, you know, we're on 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 70 years uh, uh, deep into the same uh, suboptimal light water reactors for 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 uh, warships that have never been uh, pushed out to the commercial market. Um, you know, uh, the situation with reactors on land is even worse, you know, and and uh I think folks just kind of psyop themselves into this idea of path, uh, you know, that the path dependence is a far greater thing than it actually is. And uh, you just leave a lot of low hanging fruit when you do that for a, for a generation or two. Yeah. Um, hold on. I'm going to jump back a little bit to where you're talking about general design and then mm -hmm. I'll try to tie oh, yeah. back into what Matt said. Um, actually what I was doing the other day with Onshape was like, we designed them not we were designing nozzles for the metal printer and they're going to be like uh cast out of like it's going to be a, a ceramic material for the nozzle so we have to cast it and what's nice is you can set up these like variable tables functions and basically everything um so that i can just type in okay change this dimension in the table the model will adjust and then i've designed a mold to cast that nozzle and that'll also adjust all in real time based on just like one variable change to like change maybe the width of a flange or something like that. And I thought that was pretty incredible. Um, it saved me at least like an hour or two of just spending time in, in the CAT program. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it needs to be really easy to change things like that. And like the thing is with what Matt was saying, like I think part of the problem with like getting people to switch to like a new CAD system or even you know some of the other like actual like nuclear reactors or something like but especially with CAD, like um, it's a lot of it is like we have these like really, uh, I guess, like senior mechanical engineers that are very, they're good, but they're very rooted in their way of doing things. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, this was when I was in high school and I was, uh, I was trying to get an internship at GE that I didn't get. But uh, they were talking about like the problem we have is like we have all these engineers that just do everything on clipboards when they're doing their inspections and we'd like them to use like iPads or something. But then that I'm sure that like whatever app they wrote was probably really shit, but um, so I probably don't blame the engineers too much. Many, but Many such cases. <laughs> <laughs> but also it's like um, it's also hard to get people to switch uh, something like a CAD tool because it, you get so accustomed to it and you just don't want to switch out of something like that, because it takes a long time to adjust to a new environment. Um, yeah, for as much shit as I talk about people not adapting to new technologies, like I'm I'm on Emacs all day when I well, when I <laughs> when I'm writing code like that's you know, and I see absolutely no reason to move to this whole modern IDE thing that people that people uh, uh, have have pushed forward. And, and to, to my to in my defense, it you know, Emacs is a highly modular system, but uh, you know, I, I, I guess I guess uh, we are all guilty in some measure of that sort of that sort of uh, commitment to, you know, to, to certain types of tools. That, think about it, man. You can have an AI writing code for you now. <laughs> well, I mean, you can you can plug uh, you can plug the, um, uh, the, the GPT-3 the, thing. Say what? The GP, have you seen the whole uh, OpenAI okay. and GitHub collaboration or whatever? No, I, I I heard GitHub had pulled the trigger on that. Uh, that one of my greatest fears is um, is not 
so a lot of, a lot of folks are afraid of like runaway, um, you know, of like paperclip maximizer or of runaway gray goo. My personal hell, uh, my personal like uh, AI enabled hell is uh, is is a is an agent generating um, components off of uh, off of a training set of all of the like published open source trash JavaScript out there uh, creating an eternal like an eternal bottomless pit of Jira tickets until the heat death of the universe. That's that is my that's that's my personal hell. That is what I pray to the God I don't believe in uh, <laughs> that, that we avoid. Um, someone should tell Roko about that one. Maybe that'll keep him up at night. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, that that sort of stuff. I yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure GitHub is uh, uh, full of people who are cognizant of that risk, but. Uh, I don't know. We'll 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 see what ends up happening. I've you think? Um, fully clear I mean, this I is a fascinating yet. question because if you think about it, like, um, you know the um, the AlphaGo Zero uh, type thing. You know, it trained on sets played by the you know grandmasters, yet it invented a style of play that was alien to them. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it can get, it can break us out of the, the mess we're. We'll invent something <laughs> that makes sense. You know, actually, and this is uh, sadly out of the uh, of the harder space, but I do wonder when the first AI design language will come out, uh, programming language. Like, you know, if you think about it, like you got people uh, designing programming languages based on assertions of like whatever, you know, like just, oh, you know, I think this or I think that or whatever. It's like, we don't, if, I've, been, I've been toying with this idea. I don't know if it's going to be easy to describe, but like, if you take all of the code that runs on EC2, uh, any EC2 instance, right? Like Amazon takes all the uh, the assembly language that is sent to its CPUs, and it just runs a massive compressor, right? That creates a dictionary, right? That dictionary is a set of common constructs that humans tend to use in assembly, right? So it yeah, could yeah. be a hint at a language that we could make that would be efficient. But I don't. Yeah, yeah I've seen some ex people experiment with the compressibility of programming languages to figure out like. You know what to, um, you know, relative expressiveness and whatnot. But like, I yeah, I don't know. It'll be, I think it'll it'll happen and it'll be fascinating when it does because it's, you know, programming languages are, are stuck in their own ways and they're in a, in a very similar sense as you know everything else. You know, we're still not sure if we should do like column equal or equals. Like, you know, we're, we're fighting about tabs versus spaces. It, the year is twenty twenty one. Apparently, that is a relevant topic. Uh, <laughs> ghost is screaming right now. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the PL design. So I I, I spent uh, a good chunk of the, you know, the, the last few years doing, um, you know, doing non-academic institution affiliated, uh, but still non-trivial uh, PL design research and things, you know, things around that sort of stuff. And it is striking to me how much uh, how much further you can get studying a problem uh, or or how much further you can get developing novel solutions to a problem when you can when when you just treat 
uh, your development paradigm as as language creation, um, you know, or as defining a set of, you know, a, a defining a, a functional space, um, and a toolbox around that to, you know, to to manipulate something with, um, you know, with the sorts of precision that we can get from modern, uh, you know, from modern type checked. Uh, uh, type check programming languages. Like um, earlier today, I was messing around with, uh, 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 you know, like so. Ba basically, like it, whenever anyone's trying to do something like that, um, they're probably using uh, like an ML. Um, you know, I've seen people uh, uh, trying to essentially plug uh, uh, game theoretic decision agents uh, into Haskell. Uh, Jules Hedges, a researcher out at Oxford, has done a lot of really interested work on that sort of thing using the type construct. Uh, uh, using the the type systems construct uh, uh, or using a type system construct called open games um there's some core, interesting cornell research on uh applying type systems to uh you know to geometries and graphics uh that that i was actually reading and tweeting about earlier today um if anyone who's listening to this knows anything about that line of research do please reach out it's something that i've been doing a lot of intensive reading on lately um but so is that yeah, a, I mean, is that a path between sort of that world and sort of physical objects or am i am i hearing things yeah 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 right. yeah 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 100 so uh i mean we we you know that there is there's this vast field of like um uh uh types type systems um uh, as applied to geometry and topology and a bunch of other things like that um this is way further in the mathematical deep end than I, than I can swim. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things going on with like homotopies and, uh, uh, like homotopy type theory and, and drawing, uh, you know, drawing connections between, uh, different mathematical domains, uh, such that you can apply, um, the sorts of type system, uh, 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 methodologies that we use to make very powerful programming languages to, um, you know, all sorts of diff all sorts of different areas, whether it's uh, game theoretic decision agents or whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's uh, 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 alligators, uh, you know, re rendered alligators. Let me pull up the I'll, I'll pull up the uh, the the link so that uh, uh, you guys can post it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff happening and that sort of thing. But, you know, it all does seem to come right back around to, OK, what language do we want to put around this? And then how do we want to define our terms? And then what, uh, you know, what, what can we, you know, what, what can we do having, having defined all of this such that we can, can compose a bunch of new components together and, uh, uh, you know, do, do interesting things. Honestly, to me, it sounds like a race to get around the, um, you know, old school designers and to the massive, like if whoever yeah. managed to, make an abstraction that can bridge all the way to like regular people is, is one like i don't know if it's like scanning stuff with lidars and like uh that's on every iphone now and you know or or is something like so you got a 3d optic and you like take this and like make it longer or smaller yeah. or whatever purple it, um right. if i had to if i had to like guess what the path is towards that sort of thing for cad i think it would be one of these one of these like uh programming shapes for nine-year-olds languages getting really mature really quickly because some you know some some extremely talented grad student gets inspired <laughs> and decides mm -hmm. to you know fuck off on his project you know, for, <laughs> for a summer and just do that <laughs> 
you know that that feels you know like i don't know about that and it was just gonna work but it feels like the sort of thing that might because when i found new technology doing well it's found an incubation space somewhere where it's not people aren't worried about it they're not sort of putting in an undue amount of pressure right. you know it's not coming out like claiming oh we're gonna change cat forever it's like no it's this is for nine-year-olds but so you know like it's that kind of the the raspberry pi or the even the the original pc yeah. or whatever right it didn't like say like take this PC and take a lot of them and put it in your you know replace your mainframe. They didn't say that. Like they they just went for another market and then from there it actually grew back into the original. But you need to find an incubation space is what I find right. always. I'd never thought about you know children as the, that place, but it does. It makes yeah. a ton of sense. We got for a lot of technology. I'm actually looking at my son who's like two. Right, and you know he'll go to screens and start like swiping uh, as if that will do anything. Um, you know he's you know he's he's absorbing I uh, you know uh, UX paradigms. Uh, so I don't know. I I kind of do think that additive might be the incubation space for at least new CAD systems. Um, just because like a lot of what you're making with an additive uh, manufacturing thing is going to be like something that's generally designed or it's going to be like this crazy like gyroidal like heat exchanger or something that you just can't do in normal CAD. Right. Um, and so like recently I've seen like in topology is doing a lot of interesting things and like that might be the wedge you need in order because like you can force them to say, hey, this is just a slicer. You know, it's just it's just helps. It's a software that's helping us prepare the file for printing. And then you can slowly just add new design features on top of that. Like, oh, you can do generative design. Oh, you can do some kind of topology optimization for your parts. And then slowly you can just keep adding features that like kind of replace CAD in a lot of ways. That might right. be some, that's something I've been thinking about quite a bit. Um, yeah, but also it's like, I feel like there's a lot of low hanging fruit within, within just um, taking things that work in software for CAD. Um, like there's no linter equivalent for manufacturing and design, like manufacturability design. Like if you could make something that like acts as a linter that could go and check like, okay. I mean, we kind of have this yeah. with 3D printer slices where it's like <laughs> the overhang, like it'll highlight overhangs and that kind of thing. Um, but I think that having something like that built in directly to a CAD system would be very helpful. Um, and eventually I think it'll kind of be similar to maybe like a hardware and loop type of simulation thing. Uh, like the way we have for embedded software, maybe you have like a machine tool that like has, uh, some kind of uh, structured light scanner or something that is able to check, okay, your tolerance was off here. We're going to make some adjustments to the cat model or the mold, and then it'll just automatically do this in a, in a loop. Um, I think that's what would be a really exciting future to have. I don't know if that's the one we'll have, but um, I do think that linters are very, like that's a very low hanging area to be just for simple things. Like maybe your tolerance is off. Um, and like the way it works now is like you design a part, then you, you'll do your FEA analysis, like fun element, and then just check like, okay, it can't handle this level of stress. We need to make the bracket thicker. Uh, I think just automating that pipeline would be a good place to start where you're able to set constraints and then uh, like automatically import the CAD model or something like that, or it's built in directly into whatever CAD software you're working with. Actually, um, Matt touched on a topic before I wanted to ask you about Devout, which is, um, the difference between sort of the academic and the industrial and the startup world in terms of developing new tech. 
uh what's uh do you have anything uh, like i know you've, you've you've mentioned a few things again on the social media about that like i'm sure you have thoughts i'd, I'd love to hear that <laughs> yeah yeah i think with academia they tend to do a lot of in, like intellectually interesting things and then just not think about commercialization and then industry tends to do the exact opposite where they're only focused on commercialization oh my audio just popped back up um but like yeah they only focus on commercialization or and not really think of any kind of novel technology. Like I think what industry should do more is try to take some novel technology and find a way to force the market to adopt it. I don't know how that works exactly, but um, I think that's kind of what's happening in metal printing is like a lot of these capabilities are there that, you know, normally people don't look at as like something they need because um, they're not thinking, oh, I can make this heat exchanger or, oh, I can design this part with conformal cooling channels. like because that's like some crazy sci-fi like pipe dream idea right. um and then like once you show that it is possible then people tend to kind of adjust their priors and then rethink like okay maybe i can do this and use it and maybe we could see a little bit more of that it's like companies that just force their customers to adopt a better technology especially within hardware i think part of the problem with that is that is that you know, as as you said, insufficient pressure to do new things for people who already have working commercial channels, and insufficient pressure to do, um, to do workable things. For, you know, from academic folks, because it has no bearing whatsoever on whether you get funded or not next year. Um, I, I think both of those are enormous issues that are exacerbated by the fact that we just have talent drain uh, uh, away from organizations that would be able to work in the you know sort of golden mean between those two failure modes um we have talent drain uh, uh of those people away from uh regular industry and away from uh and away from academia and into uh the aerospace and defense world at least in the west um the you know there are so 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 many brilliant people um, electrical engineers uh, and mechanical engineers primarily um, working in uh, the aerospace and defense world who are doing uh, duplicative projects essentially as serfs for the NASA for NASA or the DoD or Boeing uh, or all three in some combination and that is uh, that is a it's a really bad state of affairs to be in because you know we've created a we've created a situation where absent um absent some way to pull a lot of those people out you know you just have a you know you have you have, you have a big chunk, chunk of your brain power captured in uh you know captured in uh, a highly unproductive uh you know, in highly unproductive ventures, you know, redesigning some sub some subcomponent of the F thirty five for the upteenth time, you know, um, the those folks would be able to do a lot more, um, you know, if they weren't uh, if they weren't uh, uh, tied into doing that, you know, and we see, uh, you know, we we see a lot of brain drain in the software world um, into big tech companies, but I, I would argue that that phenomenon is far far worse in the world of uh atoms than it is in the world of bits um that's fascinating i've never heard of of, of that phenomenon I'm, in fact I, i'm i'm shocked that any part of uh government related technology is is ahead uh this is not how i understood the world 
do tell. It's, well, they, <laughs> they, they ITAR. <laughs> <laughs> ITAR, yeah, International Traffic and Arms Regulation, aka the way that the the way that the executive branch ensures that uh, technology does not proliferate out of the uh, out of the defense establishment and remains something that uh, something that is uh, available to only a very small segment of people. I mean, they they arbitrarily go around and classify or or restrict technologies all the time um, on behalf of uh, on behalf of large industry players. Um, it's not as bad as the impact that the patent system has on on development but it is pretty damn bad so um could it be that like a technology that is invented for non-defense purposes can be classified as like oh. but they just come into your startup and they're like deval you know metal 3d printing we like that's sorry it's too good to be allowed to go into the commercial market uh it's chainable chainable the 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 chainable raspberry pi of gpus was pulled off the market a few years ago um, and nobody knew why until the guy who uh, was leading the open source project turned up uh, uh, living in a completely different city uh, working for DARPA um, and apparently not by his own choice. So shit <laughs> yeah, it was back during the early obama administration when when uh, a bunch of folks uh, realized that uh, microchips are a national defense priority so instead of doing the thing that would have made them uh that would have made microchips plentiful enough for us not to be worried about that they just classified the technology and made sure that no one could commercially develop it so then now the That's nsa right. has it and no one else does <laughs> given given that we can't have it nobody else can rather than saying like right we right. gotta make it so plentiful that it doesn't matter yeah. And thankfully, I think some, you know, uh, the the there's this uh, there's this old like kind of whiny left wing essay about Silicon Valley. Uh, uh, God, I think it's called the California ideology. And uh, most of it is just kind of whiny Marxist talking points, but they do make a really good uh, statement about um, how, you know, uh, uh, the United States and more broadly the West uh, does have industrial policy in in a very similar way to uh, you know to what the Soviet Union did um, or what the what the PRC does? We just call it the Pentagon, and uh, <laughs> I think that uh, that is uh, uh, for better and or for worse pretty accurate. Um, I mean the that, um, uh, people people in Silicon Valley don't don't like to admit that um, Silicon Valley is a is is a, is a US DOD project. Uh, yeah, pretty much. The, uh, so. essentially yes i mean oracle's oracle's first customer was the pentagon microchips yeah. are the the whole rise on dash I mean, of the of all the, the, all the way back to chocolate systems and yeah. before yeah yeah uh i mean they yeah they they after world war ii they basically just poured an un, ungodly amount of money uh into that space and yeah, after sort of Intel and after HP, yeah, it broadened out and it was like all sorts of things. But like the first two or three generations, it was all Cold War <laughs> tech. Well, and that that coinc that that was like the move from from of of like big science had occurred at at, at large scale before, right? Like you you had a you know you had the initial the initial period where it was sort of like you know the industrial revolution was seeded by the Royal Navy. In effect, I was by the... I'm interested. Yeah, now, yeah. Now we're getting into the... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Royal, the Royal Navy dockyards, the Royal Navy dockyards 
were, you know, that that was where like James Watt was lived right down the road and went down there and said, hey, we've been using this little steam engine thing in a toy factory. Uh, would this be useful for any of the stuff you guys are doing, building ships? And, you know, the rest uh. is history. Uh, uh, you know, that that sort of stuff was, uh, you know, was a uh, 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 thing of enormous consequence like the guild system that rose up in the mediterranean is uh uh you know a, a an outgrowth of how the roman army supplied its troops and then how the byzantines did um you know there's all these uh you know there are all these other all these other uh things that are driven by uh defense investment um and not necessarily at like the state level either um and i think that that's uh uh, one of the primary drivers of technology. And I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people ignore that when they look at the history of technological progress um, or at the history of uh, technological stagnation, you know, um, the, the uh, uh, you know, Japan stagnated because the samurai had all the swords and used those swords to take all the guns when the peasants couldn't find gunpowder. You know, <laughs> it was uh, uh, that, that, you know, it, it, it technological advancement didn't occur because somebody in the in the Japanese state said that they were going to commit themselves to stasis for a few hundred years. You got what you got. Look, uh, so, so maybe that way you will, but at least uh, that means there's hope for, uh, you know, containing runaway AI. Uh, we just need the samurai back. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. I don't really mean that. I don't really mean that. I mean, I've got a thread on uh, Twitter now, like tracking all their all the scary shit that's happening with, um, uh, you know, ro robotics slash AI and the crossover. Um, I don't know what to make of it, but I'm I'm just tracking it to see what emerges. Like you know, sometimes I just make a list of things, and then when you have the list, the conclusion emerges without you having to do much to force it. It's just like ah. Oh, that's, you know, because you have all these like isolated examples in your head and then you put them together and the picture sort of paints itself rather than you having to like torture your mind. I don't know if I'm apparently it's a very male typical uh, behavior to make lists of things. And I just embrace that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the what's the, the takeaway there, though? Is it that um, government sort of or centralized or whatever you want to call it, big money? uh can drive a technology far more than is believed or is it that it can't happen any other way or oh it, it's i think it's that yeah, Matt, uh, gone. government yeah government of big tech just <laughs> took away uh matt that's the <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i was thinking uh the fbi he said too much. he's gone he said too much. he's gone <laughs> yeah but i do think like uh back in the 60s like the dod darpa was actually like pretty effective now maybe i don't know what how, the thing is like you know i've never experienced working in the defense industry or anything like that but i think that um they just had a lot more autonomy right like where each person could have individual agency whereas like today like you know you could be an engineer at a large aerospace company and spend your entire job uh optimizing a single bracket for like a year <laughs> that could be your thing right. um and so you just never get to see the rest of the airplane or whatever you're building. And like, as an engineer, there's just no like 
sense of like, okay, I can do these things. Like you, you just don't think like a systems thinker at all. Yeah. You're just focused on your one little area. And I think that, uh, you know, having the ability to see the whole thing and see the whole picture is pretty helpful. And I think that I, yeah. like if we, yeah, partially, yeah. Partially this is due to like just having really complex supply chains that are just like overseas that you just never get to see the factory or anything. Like as an engineer, I think that's really important to be able to see like, oh, this is where things are made, this is how it's made. And then you start to realize, okay, we can be so much better in like, you know, this many like different ways. Um, yeah, it's, they're cutting your internet, Matt, because of what you said earlier. <laughs> um, I can hear you, I think. I don't know if yeah, you're, hear you. yeah. You guys can, can hear you. me okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, sorry about that. I'm having my my classic uh, my my classic yeah, connectivity <laughs> issues. Um, I mean, with respect to the uh, you know, the dif the difference or with respect to sort of the siloing of of things in in the defense industry, and then that siloing kind of repeating itself out in major corporate entities that copy the defense industry organizationally, which is the vast majority of them in the West. Um. That, that's not necessarily a hard and fast organizational rule. Like th there's this whole um, body of literature about uh, Lockheed Martin's skunk works, for example, um, that goes into, uh, in fact, I believe there's a book called skunk works on the right. shelf here. I, I grab it later. Um, uh, uh, that goes into, you know, that goes into like how uh, the, the most high performing labs and development operations at Lockheed worked. And the crazy thing is that if you compare the organizational model, which is uh, flat, um, uh, very leadership driven uh, and and highly integrated, you know, both design, uh, like design, production, engineering, everything happens within one complex. Um uh, at least everything did happen uh, 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 in one complex in Lockheed's development arm, uh, you know, from the from the 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 Starfighter all the way out to the F one seventeen Nighthawk. Um, these these extraordinarily complex systems were you know were developed by a pretty tight knit group of people group of people with very short supply chains, uh, and if you look at the other people in the world who do that. Um, you know, it's it's the Swedes who can produce, uh, you know, who can produce top tier weapon systems uh, and the Finns as well, who can produce top tier weapon systems and top tier space systems, um, you know, at, while with with a fraction of the budget uh, that, uh, you know, that 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 the United States or the UK has uh, with its distributed contractor system. Uh, and, and then it's also the Russian design bureau system, which is the 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 world's most impressive aerospace program and no one else is even close just because they're able to do uh they're able to do uh things that challenge the united states directly with the economic resources of italy and the press freedom of well russia um right. <laughs> no metaphor needed there Right, right, and it, I guess it does. It, I guess it does. It does. Uh, it, it is helpful when you can essentially uh, enslave everyone in the top five percent of your uh, IQ distribution uh, and make them work yeah. in secret <laughs> cities. Uh, you know, posh, posh prisons Look, near Krasnoyarsk. I, I bet. I but, bet you the top five percent of our uh, IQ distribution would not mind sometimes. <laughs> like, but look, <laughs> like present them with this deal, right? I will take you to a village, and there is no Twitter there. Forget <laughs> the internet is fine. It's just Twitter does not work, and you right. can just focus on your stuff. There's a factory here. There's you design here. There's manufacturing over there. 
uh, for prototypes, whatever do you want, basically. And uh, or you can stay here in Moscow and you know be judged every day on the on the metro for not wearing the right clothes. One of, our, <laughs> one of our one of our one of our co-founders, uh, uh, Nick, uh, COO, um, he uh, he spent a bunch of time at Oak Ridge, uh, which is the American version of uh, the American version yep, of the yep, of the secret yep. hidden city near Krasnoyarsk. And uh, I, I, I definitely think he would he would relate to that idea of, you know, being able to retreat monastically to some, you know, to some like places like a place of uh, uh, uh great scientific uh you know learning and detachment um i think i don't know that's kind of the pitch for colonizing europa isn't it like you can go get uh, <laughs> you can go get five or six hours out of the light of the you know the terran light envelope and uh you know and uh, uh avoid all of the all of the, the the nonsense while we you know while you go build a big fucking halo ring and a matryoshka brain but <laughs> Your mom's basement, no planet size, basically. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. It's gonna be, it's gonna be me, Gwern, and thirty other people on a Stanford Taurus, all going insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, we've thoroughly uh, driven this into the uh, into the rocks. Uh... <laughs> One thing I don't get is if Lockheed has skunk works, why don't they institute it? Maybe I'm just really naive, like. Why don't they apply that to every part of their company? Congress. Like, I mean, it's like Congress. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> what, what, wait, but I mean, my, my understanding, and I don't know you guys what you guys know about it, but my understanding is that even those systems have been sort of, you know, Skunk Works today is not Skunk Works back then. You know, it's a department. Yeah, it's got a blah, blah, blah. It's a career ladder. It's a, you know, all that stuff. So. And and honestly, like I have a personal principle against like wishing for war, but I keep while you while, while Matt's talking, I just keep hearing. You know, there's a the Heraclitus's uh, sort of uh, adage, which is like war is the father of everything, and it just it just keeps playing. I can't. It's an earworm. I can't stop it. Like it's like war is the father of everything. Like there's no challenge. There's no war. Everything starts becoming proper and politicized and. Well, we can't do it like this. You know, we can't just let any engineer do whatever. It has to be done properly. Just the proper channels, whatever. Like, and then before you know it, it's like, what, what was the last time we invented a new kind of thing? Oh, I don't know. And who does it? He's like, oh, this this weird guy, you know, Elon Musk. Let's send the SEC after him. Like, you know, like it, it, it's like, yeah, it, it's it's like we don't want new ways. Of, it, it it bothers us. Like, you know, there's no driver and there's no kind of perceived need. In a way, COVID maybe was that um, if we would let it. Um, but there's no like sort of, yeah, no, no perceived need, it feels like, uh, for innovation. So people are, would, would take comfort over, over that at any, you know, at any time. Yeah I, I, yeah, I I would like to think that conflict. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I think the, the optimistic version of that would be that that existential risk is a driver of human advancement rather than just purely conflict and that conflict is a subset of the existential risks that drive us to do things like, you know, migrate over continents or, you know, or, or uh, uh, do other things along those lines. The profit motive is also obviously rather yeah. strong and and we would be lying to ourselves and perhaps uh, perhaps engaging in too much economism um, if we didn't admit that there's a real serious aesthetic 
and like moral component to to um the model of you know uh, technological advancement that some people adopt i mean you know i i i think that i think that uh um uh you know that there there is there is uh some sort of like moral glory in being able to do new and interesting things and building stuff um but yeah, you, that that's not a population level motivator that motivates people with a hint of the tism that that does not motivate <laughs> that does not motivate politicians um, in the same way. Uh, uh, it, it definitely doesn't uh, motivate people with, uh, you know, an even more profound stasis bias. Yeah, no, I, I stasis bias is a great word. I, I, I keep, uh, you know, trying to. Uh... Uh, to to make happen on Twitter, like uh, one day I'm gonna write up a little bit more about it. But this concept of like you know one trillion humans for a start, I feel like we need to yeah. restore um, the some objective for 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 us, right? Like right now, there's like what's the object? What are we going towards? Like oh right. maybe pre-COVID times, like that's like we're we're hoping to go back. Like wh- who cares? Like what what's who that, who does that excite? Um, you know we we. we we need something to be aiming at. And maybe that's the, you know, maybe war is a proxy for that, right? Like with war, you, you know, you, you know, you, you need to be that guy and that guy is motivated to be you. And and that is a, a very clear and understandable motive, I think for humans. And the rest of it is like, you know, uh, now we're like, I mean, you know, we're slipping into antinatalism and whatever. It's like, Oh, we need to solve climate warming. How do we, you know, global warming, whatever climate change. Uh, how do we do that? Well, let's just make more, less of us. It's like, yeah, I mean, sure, maybe, but like, is that re- like every time you have a problem, you're just going to retreat? Like, is that, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a Twitter account. Um, there's a Twitter account uh, uh, run by a guy named Rune. Um, he's, Rune. <laughs> he's, he's kind of on the, he's on the, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's short for, it's short for his full, full name, which I don't want to disclose because he's pseudo anonymous kind of um he 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 says that all all questions of human politics ultimately will uh collapse into uh 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 homesteading the local group versus ted kaczynski and i think that i think that that like the the, He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's you know. So it's Kaczynski light, basically. Is that what we're right? Got it. Well, yeah, I, I don't even know if it's Kaczynski light anymore. I mean, look at some of the, you know, look at some of the, the live within our, our means type rhetoric that you see from, uh, you know, from major political figures uh, or, or, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, the orientation of, uh, of some of the more, um, delusional environmental groups uh uh you know folks folks who folks who think that uh who think that like degrowth is is a plausible thing to sell to people i think that there is like a, a substantial chunk of the of the uh you know high status population or high status like global high status population of of uh you know sort of english speaking university adjacent elites that does actually think that uh constraining and managing um uh humanity is the right way to go and 
I, I don't think long term that's viable. Um, you know, really, really difficult to push that hard against entropy. Uh, it's so novel to our psychology. We're not, you know, we, we, we've never it. done that as a, as a species to, uh, uh, to, to sort of say, like, oh, yeah, let's just live within our means or whatever it is, like, you know, one child policy or right. like, I don't know what this boils yeah. down to. But it's like, I can't see, like, it's it's kind of like you know right idea wrong species maybe but even so i just don't i, I have this <laughs> permanent um uh permanent sort of uh you know how to, i don't know where to i don't know how to, how to how to phrase it um yeah it's it's sort of no more right uh yeah so 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 it's just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't i can't i can't make it add up to sort of go backwards like the we keep underestimating what we don't know right it's like we we, right. we pretend like we have a full accounting of of solution space and problem space and we're like okay well we got to apply the solutions that we know to the problems that we know and we have not full accounting either right like <laughs> you know this like nobody very few people will come out and say like if i don't know it it doesn't exist but many, many, many people will behave as if, um, and that's what really worries me. Like, um, let's say you apply this, you know, really concerning solution to this problem that you uh, perceive, and I I'm with you. Like, you know, mathematically, it makes sense, right? Use less, uh, produce less waste, uh, you know, pollute less. I, I, I follow, but you know, what happens when an asteroid? Right. If we don't have the, the technological capability to fight it off, what happens when a pandemic comes and we don't have like something else, uh, the, the global cooperation that we need? Like it, 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 you know, the dinosaurs did not require, you know, overpopulation and high tech to get to get extinct. So. <laughs> right. Right. And, and ultimately, ultimately, like the, you know, I, I think it's it's very difficult to make the case. Um, just from a purely like Darwinian motivation perspective that, that a species should do anything other than move towards the largest watering holes that it can find and fill them. Like we, we are doing something that is, prof if we are, finding ways to shrink our population, finding ways to do uh, uh, less with less uh, and feeling good about it. I can't think of a more fundamentally a human, um, uh, uh, you know, just, just philosophical position than that, you know, um, there, there is, and I guess the good news is that anybody who's committed to, the uh uh you know recurs recursive improvement uh path uh very quickly obtains the resources to make sure that the people who are committed to the stasis path are no longer a problem so <laughs> <laughs> or or they're a problem that's uh you know restricted to a you know restricted to a uh uh, uh you know restricted to a planet and its near orbital environment um but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I I think that sort of Kaczynski versus Ian Banks is going to be uh, dimension is going to be the. 
that's going to be the fundamental question of the 21st century which which path do we want to stake most of our resources on um right and yeah. the 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 uh the the next level up question that that's going to answer is how quickly do we move towards the growth path because we're going that way or we're disappearing and it's just a question of you know how quickly do we want to get on that train yeah i mean one of the you know people like to hate on elon and you know i'm well known on, on the Twitterverse for being um i mean to the people that know me anyway for being pretty fanatical in support but it's i do see it as embarrassing that we have let one dude basically show show up all of like i don't know several industries worth of technologists like it is, it is, it is <laughs> i share their sense of humiliation i don't react the same way to it but like it is absolutely yeah. just shameful how how much like the, I, I can't bear the single point of failure situation we're in right now uh, or the fact that he had to start in fintech to even aggregate the resources required to take a swing at the substantially more consequential problems of batteries and orbital access i mean that's that's I think that's quite the commentary on 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 our capital right. allocation infrastructure. Right, exactly. I mean, it, right. it is it is fascinating that uh, this is one of the most hopeful things that as soon as he did prove with SpaceX that it can be done, several space companies have now started, which is a relief. Like if he if something were to happen to him, like he's 50 years old. Right. Like I'm not saying like he's taken out by the Russians, which is also definitely a distinct possibility we have to model. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, it's just like, whatever, like 50, 50 years old, there is like a, um, there is a risk uh, about that I consider unacceptable. Um, at least space industry, I think, you know, you got Rocket Lab, you got, um, uh, the guys that are 3D printing metal. Come on, Duval, you got to know those guys. <laughs> What's their name? They're, they're 3D printing um, Relativity Space. Relativity Space. Relativity space. space. Yeah, has yeah. A lot oh, yeah. Are those, are those the guys with the big macro scale, uh, with the big macro scale uh, airframe printer? Yeah, they got the, like the robot arm and they use welding wire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that thing was sick. Is, is that a, is that a, is that a uh, DOD tech or DOE tech transfer thing? I or did they, don't did know, they actually. That? Hmm. I don't know. Um, they're in Los oh. Angeles. I should find a way to visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it, it being it being a space tech, maybe they are within the ITAR sort of right. umbrella and can do whatever they want. I don't know. Nice thing yeah. about ITAR is that all of space is America. So once you're up there, you're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, put, put an American flag on the side of your hab and you're like, I'm not exporting anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. More specifically, Actually, all I... asteroids are Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I do want to do is actually want to sit down and like write a, a rebuttal to Ted Kaczynski's manifesto. That's something I've been wanting to do for a while. That'll take forever, though, so I haven't gotten around yeah. to it. Um, oh, my God. That'll be amazing. Have, uh, have, you read, uh, have you read Ted Nordhaus and uh, uh, the Eco-Modernists, the, their, their document, the Eco-Modernist manifesto? I haven't. I haven't. It's it is a it's it's primary it, it, it is essentially a uh, 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 an argument for the disconnection of 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 human beings from Earth's uh, uh, ecology so that we can maintain a very uh, a high and increasing level of biodiversity um, uh, uh, and also simultaneously extract more and more and more energy without um, you know and and deploy more and more energy just you know throw jewels at problems without, uh, you know, without, without causing a whole lot of damage. 
Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, I think that 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 view of things is, um, you know, definitely more in the Ian Banks rather than Ted Kaczynski, Ted Kaczynski angle. Right. I don't think it's a direct refutation of industrial society and it's and uh, its future. But um, uh, it, it's 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 skating in that direction. I definitely encourage anyone listening to this who finds finds this sort of. Uh, bloviating about <laughs> bloviating about <laughs> space stuff to be interesting to go read that because it is it is exceptionally high grade content in the, in that in that particular area. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one thing I, I think is really dangerous is recently we just vilify like material wealth, and so I think is happening is like uh, now. I mean, it's just all gonna be done virtually. Like you can acquire as many resources virtually when you're playing video games, and that's not frowned upon at all. It's encouraged. Right. So like people are living out there like, uh, I don't know, I guess like capitalist dreams in like virtual space. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot and I've been meaning to do a thread on this is like uh, if we have like this VR absolutist future versus like the space absolutist future where like, you know, both of them kind of would fulfill our desire to like acquire resources or experience things. But I think it's uh, very important for us to actually go out in space and, and colonize space and go that way. And then VR can be like a small thing rather than like the main uh, area where we experience reality. Like it seems like a lot of things are trending virtual right now. And then like Elon's the exception to that. You know, I, I, I've been tracking Elon's technology for a very long time. Actually, I have an old blog post that I actually like created like a tech tree from his work and how, you know, like uh, SpaceX is, you know, creates um starlink and tesla creates you know the battery ventures and you know like all of the house expands and the one i can you know boring company with with tesla and spacex have a clear sort of cross cut the one thing that never fits for me is Neuralink. like it doesn't you know um it's it doesn't you know that you can be like "Mm," you know all of the other pieces are basically the building blocks for a new civilization on mars like you can we're gonna need space internet we're gonna need tunnels we're gonna need you know uh, vehicles to go around, solar panels, like you can, you can see it all coming together. Even uh, his brother has invested in a, uh, in one company doing uh, food and containers and another company doing uh, artificial meat. It's like, it's almost like it's all, you know, it clicks together. Um, right. But uh, Neuralink is like, say, have, have, have you read, have you read like any of the, the culture novels by, by Ian Banks? I keep meaning to. I've, I've read the first one, which I wasn't amazing, and I, sec- I started the second one of the player games. Um, the the neural the so so Neuralink is is the neural lace from those novels. Quite, huh. it is literally just that. Exactly. Um, huh. There is some awesome. sense in which in uh, in, in which uh, Musk is in which Musk took these like utopian sci-fi books from the nineties. And said, "This subset of technology, like we're not going to be doing hyperspace anytime soon, and we're not going to be doing, you know, we're not going to be doing hyperspace anytime soon. We're not going to be doing planet scale, um, you know, sort of like uh, 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 mass Dyson mass spheres. mass stream. Not going to be doing Dyson spheres. We're not going to be doing uh, FTL. We're not going to be doing like you know big halo rings, uh, but brain computer interfaces, well within reach." Um, and uh, you know, significantly more sophisticated AI than we have right now, also well within reach. Um, and I, I think he's honestly, I, I think he read a lot of those books 
and said, Hey, that's, this is, this is the direction we're skating. This is what I, I want to go do. Um, there was a whole group of people who kind of hopped on that, hopped on that train, I think. Um, you know, uh, 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 the Orion's Arm Universe Project was this big, uh, essentially like sci-fi story as wiki uh, that was started back in the back in the early back in the early aughts. And it's you know, it's it, it, it's uh, comes from sort of the atomic rockets lineage of like very hard sci-fi that, uh, you know, that does its absolute best to stay within scientific constraints um, while still sketching out, you know, glorious space opera. And uh, I, I think that. um I think that uh, uh, many people looked at that sort of stuff, myself included. Like I, I, you know, I grew up on 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 the stuff that Andrew Sandberg and 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 uh, some of the other people were producing. Um, you know, on, on that project, it was one of the one of the first like you know truly beautiful internet rabbit holes I ever found when I was a kid. Um, I think that a lot of people who grew up with that sort of stuff, whether it was, you know, pulp paperbacks or wiki as, you know, or sci-fi wiki as, as, uh, uh, as art form, um, looked at, looked to that as their refutation of industrial society and its future, um, and, and of Kaczynskiism. Um, mm-hmm. and they, 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 you know, so so maybe 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 in some sense, like the the correct refutation to, um, you know, it, to to Kaczynski isn't like a concrete examination of the of the, like the energy constraints that we're subject to on Earth, but rather a more spiritual, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's a more spiritual uh, uh, sketch of of uh, you know what humanity might do freed from those constraints. You know, I um, I, I want to ask actually Duval as well if he's uh, sort of grown up with science fiction because I have this um, I have this pet theory and I don't I haven't been able to prove it but I know like for instance Elon like absolutely grew up with that stuff Yukowski uh, who I also read a lot of um, keeps saying how he grew up with sci-fi and I did not by the way right I I was too busy imbibing fundamentalist Christianity but you know this is a story for another another podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you want anything to know about the- theology, let me know. I'm uh, probably <laughs> enough to qualify for a minor. Um, <laughs> but um, the um, you know, I wonder <laughs> if having access to that stuff as a as a as a child sort of locks your Zoom factor out. What I've seen both Yukowski and Musk being able to do is you ask them a question, and from your scope, it's like narrow, like. And and they're able to just zoom out so effortlessly. They're not trying to do that. They're like this is just natural to them because they do it so quickly. And they can answer in a very long term kind of way that just absolutely dissolves whatever you know. You you give them a problem, and they dissolve it so elegantly that it's like it's not a problem. Like I remember one of the earliest things I heard from Musk. I was absolutely impressed. One journalist was like, "Oh, you know, are you going to put Android on your on your cars?" Or are you going to go with Apple, right? Which is like total, like, you know, tech press gotcha kind of question. <laughs> um, and he's like, our mission is to, uh, you know, accelerate uh, sustainable transport on Earth. So I guess we're going to do whatever helps that. Right. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> it's just so, so like, whoosh, you know, like, but, but you have to be able to think on that, at least on that Zoom level, 
to say like that doesn't matter. What is what a difference does it make if I use Android or like who cares honestly? <laughs> it's, it's pointless. But if you're just locked into the drama day to day, it's like hey, is, is this is it's a gossip thing, right? Are you gonna go with them or are you gonna go with them? You know who gets the win? Um, and, and I see them doing that so effortlessly. I, I wonder if it had something to do with it. I don't know. Deval, did you did you consume like an unhealthy amount of science fiction as a kid or what? Yeah, um, I did a bit. For me, it was always comic books. I had a lot of Spider-Man right. comic books. Uh, actually, the thing is, like, for me, Iron Man. I was eight years old when the first Iron Man movie came out, so I watched that like probably forty times. Probably, I, I'm obsessed with Iron Man. Like, I, you know, this whole workshop's oh, yeah. like a dream come true where I can just like work down here. Metal printing. Uh, now it all yeah, makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the metal printing is like, you know, I would, I just want to, like dream life is just like being able to build whatever I want, whatever I want to, and not have to think about how to make it. And I guess metal printing like kind of is an extension of that. Um, like just giving me the ability to do that. Um, and I guess that's why I'm obsessed with CAD and all these things because I watched Iron Man a lot. Um, and I was, as a kid, I was always obsessed with like, making jet engines out of coke cans for me like it wasn't much sci-fi i would watch a lot of youtube videos about people building things like i didn't know hackaday was a thing so i'd always scroll through like instructables where like people would be building things and it wasn't really you know it was really hobbyist and it wasn't really properly done as engineering but like i think that's where i started thinking of things a lot i um one time i tried to make like this sheet metal like uh robot arm that you could wear around your own arm like an exoskeletal arm because of the iron man movie um and that's what got me into like using arduino and microcontrollers uh, in middle school so like that's what drove me um yeah so that's that's how i think things actually one thing is like i did meet musk once at the hyperloop competition uh, i got to ask him a question i was trying to find i was fishing for startup ideas that's what it was for me so i asked him like Hey, what's an area of technology that you're excited about, but you just don't have time to do? And he's like, um, supersonic electric jet. And uh, what I noticed is that he tends, yes, he jumps to that question of like, does this advance the goal I'm pursuing or not? Like, it's either spacefaring civilization or something related to AI or you know your sustainability uh, like mission that he has with Tesla. But um, what I noticed is he tends to make decisions really quickly based on his priors and then just act on it just like that and he doesn't hesitate at all once he's decided then it's done like someone asked him a question about uh hey would you be able to extend the hyperloop track because like right now we're the hyperloop track outside spaces is like a mile long and so the top speed oh man my microphone jumped up again uh, but yeah the top speed the top speed's limited basically just in the distance we have like you you can't really go above like two, three G's of acceleration at that point when you're using like something on a track. Um, and you wouldn't just, you just would run out of braking distance too. Uh, so someone asked, hey, right now we're struggling to reach top speeds because of the track. Would it be possible to extend the track? And he's like, yeah, maybe. He looks over at Steve Davis, who's like the CEO of the Boring Company. And he's yep. like, yeah, we could extend it maybe like 200 meters or so. We'd have to buy the parking lot over there and extend it in there, but maybe it's possible. And then later that night, he tweeted, the next Hyperloop competition will be in this 10-kilometer underground vacuum tunnel, which will take years. <laughs> so they're actually, that was the very last Hyperloop competition. It will be the last for a while. Um, but, you know, it was like almost like this impulsive decision, like, yes, we're going to do this at some point. And that's how a lot of the decisions and statements he makes on Twitter are done. Um, there's this huge action bias 
Right, right. I mean, I, I think I think what's interesting about how Musk makes decisions and how uh, like other large centrally planned organizations make that 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 do things well um, make decisions is that there's a willingness to just execute on something once you've done some pretty simple physics based math, right? And right. that's that is um, you know physics or materials based. <laughs> If, if you do it like a surface level engineering study is oftentimes all you really need to understand that something is absolutely viable and uh past that point it really just is a question of execution and you 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 know you you need to have a strategic a strategic uh uh process that can do good surface level engineering studies quickly and then you need an organization that can execute on that. And I, I, I find, uh, you know, to key back again to large centrally planned organizations, uh, two of the very big ones during the 20th century were, uh, you know, were the, um, uh, well, I mean, the engineering cores of the Soviet Union and Maoist China. And uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they, 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 are uh, very famous for taking surface level engineering studies and then running with it. You know, that's what the, that's what the three gorges dam is. And you, you can get yourself down a bad path with that sort of stuff. And you need to be able to like, you need to be willing to drop things if it's clear yeah. that it's not going to work or if there are second or third order effects that are bad. But I think that that's one of those things that, uh, you know, where, where it starts to become useful to actually introduce, uh, you know, to have your centrally planned organization be some sort of, uh, you know, be some sort of firm that is subject to, uh, you know, that's subject to uh, a requirement to, you know, return to investors because it's a, you know, it's a, a it's, it's a virtuous constraint that uh, requires you to be pretty good at execution um, all things considered, as opposed to the sort of constraint that like Soviet engineers would live under, which is don't get can, shot. Don't yes, yeah. Don't don't <laughs> get shot. Don't lie too much about what you're doing, but don't not lie because because that would be a problem too. Uh, you know, and and uh, 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 and definitely don't allow your project to be finished ever. Because you don't, you don't, you don't want to yeah. see what your next boss might look like <laughs> or where he might be. <laughs> you know, because they, they they always need people for that uh, for the for that uh, 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 nuclear aircraft propulsion research lab that kills people up in uh, you know up above the Arctic Circle. So, <laughs> but um, so the one one thing I know about Elon that I that I understand he. So my number one thing for startups is get good at failure recovery, right? Like you don't have that, you're gone. And, and, and not because like um, you suck if you fail, but at least like, you recover. There is no way not to. And that is just a given. And even trying to not fail is folly. And you, you're, you, you failed already when you're trying not to fail. Anyway. So accept it and, and get good at coming out of it. And one thing I'm noticing about Elon is he's got that to the absolute unimaginable max. I do not think he could do it that much, but he basically, you know how they say the best way to like find the answer to your question is to give somebody on the internet a bad answer and wait for the hordes to like attack you. I feel like he's taking that and weaponizing it because he doesn't, he doesn't care. His, his, his stress tolerance is probably his only superpower. Um, and uh, his, his biggest superpower is just being able to just take unbelievable amounts of flack. So he's like, well, if I can do that, I can just basically go into Bitcoin 
and tell them that their, their stuff sucks and I'm going to do Doge. And just wait around uh, to see what they do. And, you know, he doesn't care if the press, like, destroy him over that or people start complaining about how he shouldn't be investing in Bitcoin or whatever. He's like, ah, whatever, you know, I've, I've, I've been through worse, you know. I've, I've had to put my last money into split it between my two companies. What's the worst that could happen? You know, like, um, and, and, and um, he, he I, I've never, like, whatever is broken in, in, in that man, and something is definitely broken, it is making that sort of um, trade-off work so well for him that, yeah, I think that, honestly, that's my operating theory for him. It's not that he is, like, I mean, he's got a lot of, you know, uh, factors on the high level, but a lot of people do. He's not unique in that. It's just that he somehow is able to weaponize the internet at his advantage. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thank you so much for checking out episode two. Well, the first part of it, at least. Turns out we have so much stuff to cover that we ended up making it a part two. Check it out on your podcast app or on our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for joining us, and we appreciate the support.